There's a guy from my hometown who has for the past decade served as a pastor of worship in a church. Uh, Last year it was discovered that he was having an affair with one of the ladies on his worship team. In the months that followed, he and the woman both divorced their spouses, they married one another and they formed a, a new family of sorts along with the children of their former marriages. And today they post scriptures and sermon quotes and videos of themselves singing worship songs together and their story is celebrated uh, by many professing Christians. In another instance, uh, a man in my wife's extended family has long professed to be a Christian and even a Christian leader and after years of marital strife his wife moved out and his secretary moved in Uh, they lived together for some time and began a new life together a while later he divorced his wife and married his secretary and the whole event uh, was celebrated by many family members who profess Christ um these stories and many others serve to illustrate something that's been just a kind of a common theme for the past several weeks human beings have a penchant for undermining God's word while we congratulate ourselves for upholding it but corner cutting of God's word is not only dishonoring to God it actually robs us of the good godly life that he designed and desires for us If you've been here with us for the past few weeks, you know this is precisely what's going on among the first century Jews whom Jesus is directly addressing in his Sermon on the Mount. Two Sundays ago in Matthew 5, 21 through 26, Jesus explained to his disciples and the crowd of Jews on the Mount that the command, you shall not murder, well, it entails much more than than merely not killing someone. And, and, and those who understand and obey it, its fuller intention, well, those are those who will behold the good godly life as designed by God. Last Sunday in, in Matthew 5, 27 through 30, Jesus explained that the command, you shall not commit adultery, entails much more than, than, than merely not having an affair and those again, uh, again, those who understand and obey its fuller intention will behold the good, godly life as he has designed. Uh, today in Matthew 5, 31 and 32, with the theme of adultery still in view, Jesus explains the matter of divorce that had been long spelled out in the Mosaic Law in Deuteronomy chapter 24. Now before I read, um, many times this is appropriate for me to do, especially today, I want to pastorally acknowledge divorce is a very painful reality for many of us. Some of us have personally been divorced. Some of us, if not all of us, have felt the effects of divorce in one way or another. The same is true for the many Jews who were surrounding Jesus on the mount during this sermon. And so as we prepare to read and to listen to today's passage, I want to, I really want to urge something. Please remember with me this. 
There is not a single word in all of scripture. There is not a single word in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount that isn't intended as a graciously convicting invitation to us to behold the good godly life. It's an invitation, okay? Scripture is full of passages that cut to the heart like a knife. But when God's word cuts, it is not for our harm, for our healing. A corrupt thief uses a knife to harm, but a kind surgeon also uses a knife to heal. And so it is with the God who loves us and who calls us to himself in grace. So let me pray before we read this morning. Would you join me? Oh, Father, you are God and you are good. And it is your kindness that draws us to you in repentance and into deeper, uh, deeper throes of the good and godly life that you have designed for us. Help us to believe this this morning as we lean into your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, two verses this morning. Matthew 5, verses 31 and 32. This is Jesus to the crowd on the mount. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife except on the ground of sexual immorality makes her commit adultery and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We're going to jump right in. If you're a note taker, here are the two ideas from this passage that we will consider for the remainder of our time. Number one, the grounds for divorce. Number two, the gravity of divorce. The grounds for divorce, the gravity of divorce. Number one, the grounds for. In verse 31, Jesus quotes from the Mosaic Law just as he did in the previous two paragraphs, this time from Deuteronomy 24, verse 1. It was also said, Jesus says, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. That is Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 21. And if Jesus were to quote more of that passage, we would see that the grounds that had been given for divorce are a bit, they're a bit vague. All that is stated in Deuteronomy 24 is if a husband discovers his wife to be indecent, it is grounds for divorce. Now pardon a quick commercial for 15 seconds. According to some ancient writers, wives also if they discovered their husbands to be indecent, wives too had grounds to divorce their husbands, but such cases were almost unheard of, and here's why. Wives relied upon their husbands for provision and protection. 
In the grievous event of an official certificated divorce, the woman was almost always left clamoring to be remarried in order to be provided for and protected. End of commercial. So by the time of Jesus' ministry here in first century Israel, the hotly debated question had become, what constitutes indecency? What does it mean for a spouse to be so indecent that it serves as grounds for divorce? In response to this question, two schools of thought emerged in, by the time of Jesus' day. A minority of the Jews believed that indecency was limited to sexual sin. In cases of sexual sin, divorce was merited, although it was never preferred. This is the conviction that is held by a minority of the Jews who are surrounding Jesus on the mount, right here overlooking the Sea of Galilee, but the vast majority of Jews, the vast majority under the influence of the scribes and Pharisees believed that an indecency could amount to virtually anything of the husband's choosing. In fact, rabbinic documents from this era state that it was indecent for a wife to be barren, to have warts, to have an odd-shaped head, to have unflattering eyebrows, to have too small or too big of ears, to have bony ankles. This is barely scratching the surface of what was documented and was justifiable for certificated divorce. It was indecent for a woman to, to have or possess any of those traits. This isn't even close to what Deuteronomy 24 teaches. Once again, by the time of Jesus' ministry on the mount, God's law is being undermined left and right. The sacred gift of marriage is being tarnished. Women are being mistreated. And Jesus, who holds women in a very dear place in his heart, sternly sets the record straight in verse 32. It has been said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, causes her to commit adultery. Now we'll talk more about the gravity of this in a moment. And here, Jesus explicitly is addressing the men in the crowd because it is the men who are particularly guilty of undermining God's law on this matter. We could read verse 32 this way because the word everyone is a very inclusive term. It could read any and all of you, husbands and wives, who are thinking about divorce, but especially, especially you husbands. If you divorce your wife for any reason outside of explicit, certificated sexual infidelity, you are causing her to sin because you are forcing her into an adulterous marriage in order to survive. The gravity of this is weighty. We'll talk about that in a moment. But notice, Jesus has just given the grounds for divorce. 
Though divorce is painful and though God despises it and though divorce should be avoided at nearly every cost, divorce is permissible in the grievous covenant-breaking event when a spouse gives themselves over to sexual immorality. Sexual immorality is the indecent act to which Deuteronomy 24 refers. And the Greek word that is used here for sexual immorality is porneia, from which comes the word pornography. Now hear me. I didn't write God's word, hallelujah. In scripture, the word porneia is associated with premarital sex, adultery, prostitution, homosexuality, molestation, indecent exposure, incest, and bestiality. Each of these things, according to God's word, is sexual immorality. And each of these things constitutes the only grounds for divorce. The Apostle Paul, if you know your New Testament, he lays out a very rare exception in 1 Corinthians 7. Here is the only exception, and it is very rare at that. If a believing spouse is completely abandoned by their unbelieving spouse, if their unbelieving spouse refuses to live with them and moves to Texas, let's say, well then, in those instances, in those very rare instances, the believing spouse is freed from the covenant that their unbelieving spouse abandoned. These are the only exceptions. These are the only permissible criteria for divorce. And at that, it we'll talk about this a little bit, should be and can be sweetly avoided at any cost or at virtually every cost. So naturally, look, I get it. We're in 21st century America. Naturally, questions are arising in many of our minds concerning physical and spiritual and psychological abuse. What about illegal activity happening within the home and child endangerment and so on and so forth? Look, if you are experiencing those things, if anyone you know is experiencing those things, it is not okay. Please come, if you are able, come and see me, come and speak with me or Pastor Seth or Pastor Ed, find some uh, believing fellow, you know, brother or sister in Christ. We want to help you. Those scenarios are not okay. They're not okay. Those aren't in view here in today's passage. So we've just considered the grounds for divorce. I want you to please, please come. If, if you're in a, in a situation, you don't know what to do. That happens. Please come and find one of the pastors here. We want to walk with you. So that's the grounds of divorce, uh, grounds for divorce. Number two, gravity, the gravity of divorce. Verse 32, but I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife except on the ground of sexual immorality makes her commit adultery and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. 
Now this verse, it really uh, calls for some diligent consideration because in it, Jesus is communicating a number of things. The first thing Jesus is communicating is what we've just considered. Divorce is permissible only on the ground of sexual immorality. If a man or woman discovers that their spouse has or is unrepentantly engaging in sexual sin, it is grounds for divorce. But when it comes to remarriage, we need to discern the flow of Jesus' logic here. When it comes to remarriage, in the flow of Jesus' logic, the innocent party is free to remarry the guilty party because of their unrepentant sin that has broken their marital covenant, the guilty party is not free to remarry. A second thing Jesus is communicating here. If a husband divorces his wife, not because she has given herself to sexual immorality, but because she burned his dinner, and that's actually on the, the list from this, this time frame of what was permissible in the eyes of the scribes and Pharisees. If a, if a husband divorces his wife not for sexual immorality, but because she burned his dinner, both he and his former wife will be guilty of adultery if they remarry because their marital covenant is not broken in the eyes of God. They may think that they are going their separate ways, but that which God has joined together, man should not and cannot so easily break. A third thing Jesus is communicating here. If a husband divorces his wife, not because of sexual immorality, but because she burned his dinner, well then any other man who marries her from that moment on will also be committing adultery because the woman's marriage with her first husband is not broken in the eyes of God. What I think is appropriate is that we feel that the weight of this, the gravity of it, it's good that we feel this. If this is your first time, I apologize. This is a particularly heavy text and we're gonna do our best to, 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 to finish it up. Please remember with me, every one of you, no matter what sin, I am a train wreck of temptation. Whatever sin it is that you are tempted to and giving yourself to, please remember with me that in God's word, his intention for us is not to harm us. It is to help us, it is to heal us, it is to invite us into deeper realms of the good godly life that he has designed. And so, what are we to do about this passage? How are you and I to be doers of the word and not just hearers? I think it's fitting to address three groups of people who are probably among us this morning. Those who desire to be married, those who are married to their first and only spouse and those who have been divorced and remarried. So first, those who desire to be married. After hearing passages like this, I can only imagine. It is wonderful that you desire to be married. 
I mean this with all sincerity. Marriage is a precious gift from God to us. It is a lifelong covenantal commitment between one man and one woman and it is a picture of the covenantal commitment that Jesus, the groom, has with his people, the bride. Lifelong marriage, hear this, it is not easy but it is majestically good. When God ratifies our marital promise to remain faithful to our one spouse through thick and thin, and thick and thin contours and complexities of life will arise, but when God ratifies our promise to our spouse to remain faithful, he not only supplies us with everything we need to honor our commitment, he uses the process of it to usher us into the good godly life he's designed for us. Someone once told me, marriage is the vehicle, Chris, by which God is going to purge you of many, 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 many sins. He's going to reveal them all to you in high definition. It's gonna be torturously wonderful. <laughs> Hallelujah. Please allow if you are desiring to be married and married, hallelujah, please allow this passage to convince you of the seriousness and how solemn and wondrous God views marriage, but please do not allow this passage to dissuade you from the wonderful gift of marriage. Please don't do that. Second, I think it's fitting toward the end of our time here to address those who are married to their one and, and only spouse, you know how wonderful lifelong marriage is and you know how difficult it can be the majority of the time. <laughs> Don't lose hope. Do not lose hope. Don't entertain the word divorce, not even for a moment. The person you are married to is the person God has given you. And so ask God what I ask the Lord most days. Let's do this together as married people. Oh Lord, give me eyes for my spouse. Give me ears for my spouse. Give me affections for my spouse. Give me patience for them. Give them strength as they bear with me in all of my train wrecks, right? Give me understanding for them. Give me humility toward my spouse. Give me an ever-increasing commitment to my spouse. And he will answer that prayer. And... It very well could be for many of us in the room, we need help navigating a moment right now. We need help navigating an issue. I am no guru. None of our pastors are. We don't claim to have all the answers, but God does if you need help navigating something. If you're starting to flirt around with the idea of divorce in your mind, stop it, stop it, stop it. Call us. We want to walk with you. We want to walk with you. God can and will bring about reconciliatory beauty. He really will. When you hold tight and when you honor your God-ratified marital covenant, you will taste a measure of the good godly life that you wouldn't otherwise. 
If you had jumped ship, don't jump ship. There may be many tears, lots of time, lots of counseling, but I promise you, oh, it's so worth it. It's so worth it. Hold tight. Third, those who have been divorced and remarried. I'm really sorry. I can't imagine the pain of going through that and the pain you must carry. I'm gonna say something that's very obvious. I clearly don't know the details of your divorce. I don't know if sexual immorality was at play. I don't know if you were the guilty party, your spouse or the both of you. I don't, I don't know, but what I do know is this, and I stand on this with two feet. Once again, obvious, you're here today. You have heard God's word today. You know how preciously permanent God desires marriage to be. And you know how the covenant of marriage points us toward the permanence of God's love toward us in Christ. Knowing these things, knowing all of these things, I would invite you to believe and to receive just as the woman at the well did in John chapter 4. Remember with me that the woman at the well had been married and divorced and remarried five times. To say that she was walking with a limp is an understatement. She would have been discarded by much of society, carrying around the brutal weight of shame, of guilt, ostracized, marginalized. It's in the scorching heat of the noonday sun That's when she was forced to limp all the way up the hill of Samaria, carrying uh, the heavy burden of a large, empty water jug. She needed fresh water. But who was waiting for her at the top of that mountain with much better than fresh water? Jesus. When she arrived, Jesus, he already knew everything about her. He knew her divorces. He knew her remarriages. He knew adultery. When she arrived, he told her her own story. And then he told her that he is Christ the Messiah and he has come to call people where they are at, right where they're at. And he has come to give them something much better than fresh water that we drink and then we become parched again. He has come to give living water that takes away the parchedness of all of the mouths who thirst for righteousness. So if you are here and you have been divorced and remarried, receive, believe as the woman at the well, Jesus Christ the Messiah is here with vats, with pitchers, of never-ending grace to bring you into and to keep you in his kingdom family right where you are at. And much like the leper that we, you know, the blind man, the deaf man, pick up the mat and go walk. Sin no more, but take up your mat and walk. It could be that for those who have been divorced and remarried. It could be that you may feel led to, and maybe appropriately so, write a letter to your former spouse acknowledging 
guilt, humbly apologizing, asking if there is some form of restitution that you can offer. Is is any way that I could make what happened lighter upon you? And know this too, while you and all of us, whomever we are married, if we are not married, we are all of us, each of us going to be walking with a limp. None of us is going to be sprinting across the finish line. But we have been, by the blood of Jesus, by his gracious open hand, we have been welcomed to take up our mat. We've been empowered to do so, to take up our mat, to walk, and to walk in the righteousness that he provides us and the good godly life awaits each of us who do this. So in closing, oh, that each of us would hear and relish this. At the cross of Calvary, your righteous Savior put away the sin done by you. And at the empty tomb, your righteous Savior overturned the sin done to you. The sting of death is sin, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians. But thanks be to God because he has given us victory over our sin through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. This is what we repentantly celebrate when we take of the bread and of the cup of the Lord's Supper. In a few moments, what we're about to participate in is a sensory meal of good news. As each of us tastes the bread in our mouths, we are to remember that as real as the bread is in our mouth, so real is the fact that the Son of God became a man and gave up his body for us on the cross that we might have eternal life with all of our disqualifications intact. I am unworthy, just as you are, to approach this table this morning, but by the blood of Christ, no, it is finished. As you taste the bitter sweetness of the juice, remember, sensory meal. Remember the sweetness of having your sin forgiven, but also remember that it came at a bitter cost to Jesus whose blood was poured out for you. As we partake of the Lord's Supper together as a fellowship of believers, we should ask our thing, ourselves some things. What sins, Lord, Am I entertaining in my life that need to be forsaken? What sins from my past, from my story, have I been suppressing out of the, the shame of it, out of the guilt of it, out of the fact that I have to carry this big, heavy water jug up to the, up to the well to, to get some, 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 some fresh water? What is it that I am carrying around? By the way, at the end of the woman of the well story, John 4, she ran off the mountain. She left the water jug there. She left it there. She met with Jesus and she left it there at his feet. And so as we come forward to the table to take of these symbols, bread and the cup, body and blood, what is it that we are carrying? What burden are we carrying around that we're just needing filled up? Just lay it at the feet of Christ and trust that he wants to heal and to help and to strengthen and to revitalize and to fill and to satisfy. So asking ourselves, what sins am I suppressing? What sins am I just 
unrepentantly walking in, Lord, I want to take the Lord's Supper in a way that is honoring to you. Am I sacrificially loving my wife? Am I sacrificially loving my husband? This is who the Lord's Supper is for. Please hear me. It's not some sort of upper elite class upper echelon secret service meal here's who the lord's supper is for men and women who are capable of this kind of introspection and self-examination who just who know that they're unworthy and disqualified to come before the table jesus blood has gained us access and entry and so as we do we want to do so in a way lord i don't want to keep eating and drinking judgment of unrepentant sin oh lord please help me to turn from sin and to follow you if you are capable of this kind of self-examination then after i pray i would invite you to come forward and we get to in repentant celebration take of the lord's supper together as a family in a worthy and repentant manner. Remember this with me. Of any temptation, of any sin that you carry in your life, the essence of all sin is that we have substituted ourselves for God. We say, well, I know what I'm supposed to do over here, but I'm gonna do it this way because, well, I I have a clear view of what's gonna bring me joy. So we, we say, you know what, Lord, you're, you're a good God, but I'm, I'm a better God for myself in this way. I'm just gonna keep embracing this sin. And that is what the essence of sin is, is that we have substituted ourselves for God, but the essence of salvation, the essence of what we celebrate right here, the essence of what we sing about, the essence of what we gather around is this, God has substituted himself for us. We substitute ourselves for God, we sin, And Jesus, God the Son, has substituted himself for us, taking upon himself our sin, our shame, our guilt, dying on the cross, drinking to the dregs the wrath of God, raising again in order to not only just save us from sin, but to free us from it, that we would taste and behold and enjoy the good godly life as he designed it. Let's pray together. And while I pray, I would invite our communion service to come forward this morning. And after I'm done praying, take, take, take some time, family. And if you are capable of that level of self-examination, self-examine and then come forward and let's stay together as a family. Let's pray. Oh, Father, it is true that your word is sharper than a two-edged sword. It cuts but it also heals. We thank you for that. This was a hard passage. It was a hard word. Um, But Lord, what you have called us to isn't difficult for difficulty's sake. Lord, is the putting off of our old, putting off of our old self and walking in the new that has been uh, made, um, imputed to us and made made available uh, in, in Jesus. And so, Lord, I pray that we would trust. I pray that we would come uh, to remember the body and blood of Jesus poured out for sinners. Um, I pray that we would do so with repentance and with a spirit of celebration um, because there is no condemnation. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And we praise you for that. Lord, be honored in this time as we remember uh, the gospel meal of the Lord's Supper. 
be praised and edify us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.